Please take your Bibles once again, if you would, and turn to the book of Hebrews, uh, chapter 2. And, it, and if you are, you, you may be seated too as well. Uh, Hebrews chapter 2. Beginning in verse 14. Hear now God's word. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. For surely... It is not angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect, that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of his people. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Amen. Would you please bow your heads with me this morning? Our Father, we thank you so much that we could gather uh, around your word, knowing, God, that you are present with us here today, that the things that, that, that are said we pray would be of you. We don't need to hear the words of men in times like this. Remind us, O God, what you have to say to us through your word. Speak to us. Open our hearts, Lord, to hear and to receive by faith the things that you have for us this day. Help us to feast upon you. Uh, We pray in your name. Amen. Well, late one stormy night, uh, a small voice was heard from the bedroom across the hall. Mommy, I'm scared. To which mother sympathetically answered, Honey, don't be afraid. I'm, I'm right across the hall. Well, after a short period of time, there was another bolt of lightning and and thunder. And uh, the little voice said again, I'm still scared. To which mother replies, you don't need to be afraid. Close your eyes and pray. And remember that Jesus is always with you. Well, if you're a parent, you know what happens next. Uh, There's a little pause, but then the voice comes back once again. But this time, the little child is standing right next to the parent's bed. And the little boy says, Mommy, can I get in bed with you and Daddy? And his mom is about to lose her patience with her her little boy. Uh, His eyes catch her eyes. And he says, Mommy, I know that Jesus is always with me. But right now, I need Jesus with skin on. Well, sometimes, you know, we're, we're all like that. You know, when life is uncertain and the things that we fear the most seem most likely to happen, when unprecedented events occur like COVID-19, pandemic uh, spreads around the world and enters into our own personal lives, causing health concerns and, and for some even death, uh, un- economic uncertainty and And it's sort of a very uncertain future. It's in those times that we must remember that we have a Jesus with skin on. We have a Savior that is like us, 
a Savior who became like us, actually. If you look at verse 14, it says, Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things. Now, all of us as human beings have the same thing in common. We're all flesh and blood. That's something we share in common. But it says here, we read that Jesus partook of the flesh and blood. Now, notice that those verbs, partook and share, those are different things. That Jesus, he took a hold of something which did not naturally belong to him and added to himself our nature. Now, as we've been looking at the book of, of Hebrews, it, it, it opens this wonderful letter with chapter 1, obviously, and the, the opening words we read of who Jesus Christ is. And we see in this first chapter just the magnificence of who Christ is. Look at chapter 1, verse 2. It says, he is, he's described as the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. And, and the writer goes on to talk about how Jesus is greater than the angels. That the angels are like messengers. That they stand before his presence to do his bidding. That's how mighty and great he is. That they worship him. We see that in Revelation chapter 4, Revelation chapter 5, of, of how uh, all of creation stands before Jesus and, and worships him. But now we're reading that that same transcendent Jesus became Jesus with skin on. And he didn't merely appear to be a man, but he truly became a man physically. We're, we're told that he knew what it is to suffer weakness. In John chapter 4, verses 6 through 8, we're, we're told in, in connection with the story of the woman of Samaria that our Lord, being tired and fatigued, he sat down by the well while his disciples went into the village to find something to eat. In Luke chapter 8, verse 23, on, on an occasion when Jesus and his disciples entered into a ship. He went to sleep in the stern of a vessel. These are things of a true person in bodily, physical sense. And Jesus experienced these as a man. But not just physically, but also in terms of his soul. Uh, we are told that his mind developed and he grew in wisdom and in stature. That he learned from his parents and from others around him. We read, too, that Jesus was sometimes amazed and that he marveled. We're told that he experienced grief and sorrow, not only at the tomb of, of Lazarus, but we see him weeping and we hear him say that his soul was exceedingly sorrowful even unto death. These are all indications that he was truly man in his body and in his soul. And so Jesus became flesh and blood like you and me. The only difference is, Hebrews 4.15 tells us, that he did so yet without sin. And, and, and I think it's easy for us as Christians to forget Christ's humanity. I mean, we, we, we have sort of this tension of his transcendence, his greatness on the throne in heaven above and his humanity here. And we oftentimes fall into one ditch or the other by sort of emphasizing one 
uh, a nature of Christ over against the other. But I think if we're going to struggle with any, oftentimes we struggle with this humanity. And, and I hear Christians do that in, in ways like this. And I think probably even unconscious where maybe someone is referring to Jesus temptation and how Satan came to him in the wilderness. And, and, and yet Christ stood against that temptation. And whenever someone refers to that to encourage us to use God's word to stand in the midst of temptation, sometimes I hear Christians say, well, but he was also God. Almost as if his humanity was different than ours, as if he were not genuinely human, nor is he still genuinely human. But that's not true. He, he is, and it's important that we not only understand Jesus' humanity, but it, why it was necessary that he was a man. And so that's what the writer of Hebrews reminds us of this morning, why it is that Christ came as a man. To, to earth. And the first thing we see in verses 14 and 15 is he came to defeat sin or to, to defeat death, to defeat death. Verse 14, since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. Now, notice there's two key verbs in this sentence, destroy and, and deliver, that, that Jesus came to destroy the power of the devil who held mankind in slavery. But he also came to deliver or to set his people free. I mean, we've been reading in the Old Testament about the Exodus and how God brought his people out of, of under Pharaoh's uh, and out of Egypt's uh, bondage through using his servant Moses. And the only way to destroy Satan was to rob him of his weapon, that is death, physical, spiritual, and eternal death. Well, the devil knew that, that God had made death the punishment for sin and disobedience uh, in, in the Garden of Eden. In Genesis chapter 2, verse 17, uh, there's a conversation that's going on. God is speaking to, to Adam and and he says, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. And so the devil, who is the deceiver, he is the accuser. He, he tempted our first parents, Adam and Eve, into sin. And, and they sin. And they were therefore brought under the curse of death. And ever since then, humanity has been plagued and enslaved by death. And, and any person who thinks seriously about death is certain to be afraid of it. Any person who has any understanding of what the Bible has to say about death will be alarmed by the thought of death, for it teaches us that death is the door through which we path, pass into an eternal destiny. And I think that's why oftentimes, even as human beings, we have worked so hard to separate ourselves from death. You know, it, it seems like the, the more that society, quote unquote, advances, the more isolated we become of death. We go to hospitals now to die rather than at home. Some people have never been to a funeral, even though they are adults. And I think part of that is, is that if we don't face death, 
We don't have to think about death. And we don't have to think about it being that doorway through which we pass to an eternal destiny. That if we do not know God and Christ, then it is a destiny of torment and of suffering and sorrow and pain. And no man can contemplate that without being afraid of death. Death to the unbeliever is terrifying. It's not merely the physical fact of death that frightens people, but it is the consequences that follow death if they do not believe the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And and if we could know for certain that when we die, that in the end nothing really happens, then I think no one would be afraid of death. Many people might even welcome death. But the strength and the sting of death, the Bible tells us, is sin. Which means this, that we have a feeling within us that because we have sinned against God, we are going to be punished for it when we die. And that's true. That's the sting of death. And that, that's what makes it come to us with power is the law of God that proclaims it. God's law tells us how we ought to live and we know that we don't do that. So the sting of death is sin and the strength of sin is the law. And that's what makes people alarmed about death. Well, the moment the law makes its announcements, we fear death and are alarmed at the thought of it. But the good news is that Christ delivers us from that because he has dealt with our sin. He has taken the sting out of death because he has dealt with the guilt of our sins. He has dealt with the law. He has become flesh like us, human beings, that he might be our substitute and he might live a life of perfection, which he did without sin. And, and so by dying for our sins and by his active obedience to the law, his perfect life, the law is satisfied and now there's no strength in the sting of death. In other words, the Christian doesn't need to fear death and, and Satan only has power over those who are condemned by the law and who belong to his kingdom. But the moment a man sees what Christ has done about the law, he knows that the sting is gone. And so he can lift up his voice with the Apostle Paul, who says in 1 Corinthians 15, 54, Death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is a law. But thanks be to God, who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? John Calvin said, he said, it is from this fear, that is this this fear of death, that Christ has released us by undergoing our curse and thus taking away what was fearful of death. And he says, although we must still meet death because every Christian will die, He said, let us nevertheless be calm and serene in living and in dying when we have Christ going before us. Because you see, for those who place their faith in Christ, death is merely a doorway to eternal life in glory. Amen? It's not something to be feared. But without Christ... The reality of the chains of death bind our hearts in fear 
because our sin and God's judgment remains. Well, that brings us to the second reason why Jesus had to become a man um, so that he might satisfy the wrath of God, that his propitiation might be made and he might satisfy the wrath of God. Verse 17, therefore, he had to be made like his brothers. He had to become human like us in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. You see, when humanity sinned against God in the Garden of Eden, not only was death, that, that physical, spiritual, eternal death, the punishment, but their sin demanded, it, it aroused the wrath of God. And that's what that word propitiation refers to, is the wrath. Of, of God that is due upon us for our sins because of what we have done. In fact, the New Testament tells us that every single human being who has ever lived is actually born as a child of God's wrath because all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And because we, we have a debt that we owe, we, we must pay it. But the problem is, is that our debt is too great for us to pay. And that's why it's necessary that we have a substitute to pay our debt. Someone who is like us. Someone who is human. Someone who could take our place. And yet, someone great enough to pay such a large debt of perfect, sinless obedience before God. Which would require that this person be God as well. And so the writer of Hebrews, using the language of the Old Testament sacrificial system, refers to Jesus as the high priest. You see, the priest in the Old Testament would be the one that would stand between God's people and God himself. And he would make the sacrifices necessary for God's people to be acceptable in his sight. And the writer is saying that Jesus is that high priest and we'll find out later he's not only the high priest, he is also the sacrifice that was made as well. And as a matter of fact, this is such a, a key point that for the next several chapters, uh, we're going to be unfolding this great truth. So I won't expound on it more, but, but I do want to make this point because I think it's oftentimes misunderstood. It's important to understand that the cross, that is Christ's sacrifice, didn't cause the Father to love his people. Jesus' death on the cross didn't turn the Father's wrath into love. But instead, the Father loved his people. He loved his elect. And, and therefore, uh, he sought after them. But there is this, uh, if you want to call it a divine dilemma, at least from our perspective. So you have a God who loves his people and yet, because of their sin, because of their rebellion against him, his wrath must be poured out upon their sin. And so what does God do? God sends his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, in flesh and bones to answer that dilemma. And so we read in 1 John chapter 4, verse 10, In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Or, or in Romans chapter 3, 
Verse 25, where it tells us that Christ the Redeemer is the one whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. And so all of the fury of heaven was poured out on the Son in place of his people and thereby satisfied the wrath of God for his elect. And so propitiation enables God to be both the justifier and the just. And that's why Jesus was born into the world, so that by his death, as both God and man, he might break the hold of death and set us free. But also, at the same time, making propitiation and satisfying the holy wrath of God against our sin. But there's a third reason that Jesus came as man. Look at verse 18. He said, For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. You know, when we pray to Christ for rescue from sin, we pray to one who has himself walked through suffering and temptation. Jesus is no stranger to our difficulties. He has truly been made like his brothers and sisters in every way, as we read in verse 17. Now, some people will object that Jesus doesn't know the full experience of humanity because he's not a sinner. He doesn't have a sin nature. And so they argue that without that experience of sin's corruption, Jesus can't fully sad sympathize with us. But actually, let me suggest to you that the opposite is true. Jesus knows far more about temptation than you or I do. You see, for us, we have given in to temptation before Satan is done tempting us. Have you ever thought about that? You see, Satan doesn't have to tempt us all the way. He just has to tempt us far enough for us to give in to sin. And oftentimes, if you think of it as a scale like that, we give in maybe about right there, or maybe right there, or maybe right there. But we never resist Satan all the way to the end. But the Lord Jesus Christ, he did. For Jesus, he endured the temptation to the very end, to where Satan says, Uncle! I give up. And we read even in the temptation that after uh, Satan tempted Jesus in the wilderness, we read, and Satan left him until another opportune time. Because Satan couldn't, re couldn't pull Jesus into temptation. And so Jesus endures temptation long beyond the point where even the strongest of us gives in to trials. And so Jesus has a real and a knowledgeable sympathy with those who are being tempted because he has been tempted long beyond anything else that we have. Therefore, we have a Savior who is able to help us in the life in this world, who's not only mighty to save, but mighty to hold us steadfast in life, because he is a Jesus with skin on. And brothers and sisters, I don't know what you're encountering today. I mean, there's, there's common things that we're all encountering, and there's fears, and there's worries, and there's things that we're going through. But there may be other things in your life that you're wrestling with, maybe problems in relationships, maybe 
financial difficulties, whatever it may be. But I want you to know that you have a Savior who understands. He is able to hear you with a sympathetic and a merciful heart when you cry out to him. What an encouragement it is for us as we go through the different trials and the temptations in this life to know that we can turn to the Lord in prayer. But I'm here to tell you that that he's more than just a God who hears and is sympathetic. He's a God who is able to deliver you. You can trust him. Knowing that death, even death, that which we fear so much will not bring you harm, but will simply for the believer bring you to Jesus. You can also trust him even in your everyday life for your present temptations and your struggles. He is able to help us by praying for us at the throne of his Father in heaven and by sending his Holy Spirit into our hearts, giving us his strength. When I was, uh, Robbie and I, were, when we were in college, we had a friend who was deaf. And uh, one day, her boyfriend and her, we were all sort of sitting in the cafeteria. And uh, he said, I want to take you guys through an exercise to help you to understand what it's like for Drew to be deaf. And and so he, he took us through the exercise. And I don't remember what, what it was, whether he had us you know, stop up our ears or with our hands or what. I, I don't remember what it was. But after the exercise and we got a little bit of a sense of what her world was like, then we were done with the exercise. And what really struck me was not the exercise, but what, what he said afterwards. He said, you know, he said, you got a little bit of taste to understand what her world is like, but you don't really understand what her world is like. Because now that the exercise is over, you get to go home and go back to your world where you can hear everything. She doesn't get that option. She still will be deaf. And I want you to know that as we think of our Savior this morning, that Jesus Christ didn't just become a man for the time while he was here upon this earth. And then when he ascended into glory, he then turned back into God only and now sits at, 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 at heaven, highly exalted, he still is the God-man. He still is a God who understands us and understands what we're going through. He is fully God, and he is fully man, and he is our Savior. My dear friends, do you know these things? Are these things reality to you? To be a Christian doesn't mean doing something yourself. It means giving yourself to the one who does it for you. These things we've been considering are gifts of God. Are you enjoying them? Are you living in light of the reality of what your Savior has done for you? Is this the way you are facing your life in this dark world? These are the blessings that Jesus Christ offers us. These are the foretastes, the the first fruits of that wondrous glory that we will enjoy in all of its fullness and perfection someday. 
want you to take just a few moments and, and bow your heads and, and just think about the things that we've looked at today from, from God's Word and what Christ has done as uh, coming in the flesh. And, and as you're thinking about those things and, and reflecting upon those, I want to just close by, by reading from Romans chapter 8, verse 31 and following. And just, just let the word of God pour over your soul. Let your ears hear his promise to his people. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised. Who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Lord, we thank you so much for your word that you have given us today. You have gone to such lengths to purchase us for yourself. Lord, if you would go to such lengths to save us, to, to hold us steadfast, then will you not care for each and every need that we have each and every day? Lord, turn our focus to you. Lord, we, cause, we pray that you would cause the hope that we have only in Christ to well up within our hearts to give praise to you, to know that no matter what, we are loved and we are cared for. Lord, I pray for any that may hear my voice today and not know you, that, Lord, that they may come to, to admit their sin, admit their offense before you, that their sin incurs your wrath. And I pray, O oh Lord, that they might cry out to you and to ask for forgiveness, trusting that you have provided the only way to you, the Lord Jesus Christ, your Son, who is able to save 
And may they trust in you alone for salvation. No longer, Lord, living their lives as as they have saw fit. But instead, Lord Jesus, that they give themselves to your word to obey the things that you have revealed to us in the Bible. That we might live, God, as, as heirs of eternal life. Oh, Lord, we thank you, oh God, for the great hope that we have in Jesus and pray that many would come to know you. We thank you, O Lord, for our sweet Savior. And it is in his name that we pray these things. Amen. Amen.